Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 174 for May 9th, 2013. My guest today is John Hunter. He's a longtime friend of mine in the blogosphere. He started way back in 2004 uh, with his Curious Cat Management Improvement blog. More recently, he's also been a blogger for the W. Edwards Deming Institute. John's recently published a book titled Management Matters, which is a really nice compendium of the great management thinkers who have influenced John in his own work. So John's joining us uh, via Skype from Malaysia, where he's been living, and we're going to be talking about his impressive quality background, where he grew up in Madison, Wisconsin, and was influenced by many great quality thinkers. Um, John will also talk about his book and his work, uh, including topics such as why long-term thinking is such a rare commodity and some of the lessons from Dr. W. Edwards Deming that mean the most to him. So you can find links to uh, his blogs, all of his work um, at leanblog.org slash 174. Well, John, it's a pleasure to talk to you after all these years of reading your blog and, and many, many emails, and I'm glad we can share our conversation on the podcast today. Yeah, it's great. I look forward to it. So can you start by introducing yourself and, and your work and your career to the listeners? Yeah, um, I'll give a somewhat long introduction to talk a little bit about the Madison stuff that you had mentioned you were interested in. Mm -hmm. Um, so growing up, I was around this stuff from the time I was a little kid. My dad was a professor of statistics and industrial engineering and chemical engineering as I grew up. And uh, he would weave a lot of this stuff into um, sort of me growing up uh, and including like, you know, have your parent come to uh, school day and talk and we'd he'd talk about some of these kinds of things mm -hmm. um so uh, i started out really young when i'm sitting right now in malaysia and i'm looking out my window at singapore when i was a little kid um we lived in singapore for a year and my dad was uh teaching this kind of stuff there looking back through my dad's records i've seen email uh <laughs> not emails, mm -hmm. uh, letters going back and forth from him and Deming while he was in Singapore talking about uh, these kinds of things. So I grew up with a, a lot of this stuff. Um, the uh, So in Madison, really interesting things happened. Um, you had a lot of stuff going on there, which some people don't realize. But uh, my dad wrote statistics for experimenters with George Box and Stu Hunter, mm -hmm. who's not related. Um, that book is pretty much the Bible for design of experiments, although since then there's been one other one that might compete for that title. Mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, um, so with that, uh, my dad followed George Box from Princeton to... Uh, Madison to set up, George Box is setting up the statistics department for the University of Madison. Mm -hmm. So my dad graduated, took a year, he needed a year in between, which is I think where he got his chemical engineering degree because mm -hmm. George Box wasn't setting it up for a year. Um, Brian Joyner came to Madison because of George Box at the University of Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. 
So then Brian Joyner ended up setting up Joyner Associates. So you had uh, people like Hero Hackboard come to Madison who had never been in Madison. Um, otherwise, he was from South Africa. Um, and John Dowd, who uh, I can't remember where he came from, maybe California. Um, but when my dad came back, our family took a year in Nigeria. When we came back from that, uh, one of the things my dad wanted to do was to help out Madison. He decided Madison was a great place where we had lived and he wanted to help out. So he talked to the mayor about using some of these ideas in the city of Madison to make things better. Um, he had known Peter Schultes and Peter Schultes worked for the city. So they talked and came up with the idea of what a project should be after the mayor agreed. Um, and so they worked in the city of Madison garage Hmm. with a project and my father then wrote that up and it's included in uh, out of the crisis as sort of the first uh, implementation of Deming's ideas in the hmm. public sector that I'm aware of. Um, and so that brought Peter Schultes into th this sort of quality stuff. Um, and so then in Madison, you had George Box, my father, uh, Brian Joyner, uh, Peter Schultes, huge names in the Deming community, mm -hmm. doing lots of stuff. Um, Joe Sensenbrenner, who was the mayor, got really involved in this stuff. He ended up writing an article for the Harvard Business Review on that project and further efforts at the city of Madison. Uh, so all sorts of stuff started to happen. And there were lots of people um, beyond... Uh, sort of the most famous ones. Yeah. But anyway, so that's, I had a lot of this stuff growing up. We can talk a little bit more about that if you want. The, after that, I ended up, uh, after I graduated, I went to Washington, D.C. After a few years, I worked for the Office of Secretary of Defense Quality Management Office, um, where we did a lot of things uh, for the Department of Defense. Then I moved over to uh, the White House Military Office where I worked with Gerald Suarez, who uh, worked with Deming and Acoff. Um, he's really known for psychology. He is a doctorate in psychology. He talked a lot about drive out fear. Claire Crawford mm -hmm. Mason has yeah. uh, the video uh, with him there. So I worked with him for a couple years. Um, and now I'm uh, in Malaysia. The closest thing I can think of is taking a sabbatical. Um, it's yeah. not really doing that, but, you know, that's sort of what I'm doing now. <laughs> and so you're continuing you know, the work you've been doing with, with your blog, uh, the Curious Cat management blog, and there's, there's related blogs. And um, why, why, you know, for, for people who aren't familiar or you're reading there, can you talk a little bit about the, the different blogs and, and how long you've been doing that? Yeah, so that stuff actually started... Um, Really, it all traces back to uh, the I was involved in a group because of two people from Madison, actually, Tom Moskaller and Michael Williamson, a group for setting up these ideas in the public sector um, nationwide. And uh, eventually we uh, merged. We sort of became part of ASQ to become the ASQ government division. And the process you've talked some about. Uh, the process of publishing mm -hmm. uh, with a big publisher. 
Well, the process for we had a news, a paper newsletter. This was, you know, mm. 15 years ago, maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And I started writing a little article on this is pre web days, uh, but Internet resources like bulletin boards and email lists mm -hmm. and things like that. And by the time it would be published, half of the information would be bad <laughs> because things were changing so much. So I ended up talking to a guy at Clemson University, Del Kimbler, about uh, hosting the stuff there because I, there wasn't really a way to have your own websites. There was, but you know, it was practically mm -hmm. impossible. Yeah. Um, and so that's when I started doing this stuff. And the, so the Curious Cat Management Improvement blog was started maybe nearly eight years ago now. Um, and uh, maybe 10 or 12 years ago is when I started the website myself. Um, and I have a lot of uh, management improvement material uh, there and links to a lot of things. Um, so I've been paying a lot of attention to sort of what's going on online in this space for a long time. Uh, and then I expanded and did many um, many other things online that aren't really related to management improvement, just other interests I have like yeah. technology and science and engineering and travel. It's kind of like, uh, the, kind of like sub blogs within kind of within the same domain, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that this year or two gives me a lot of time to spend on those kind of things and, uh, working on the websites and also writing the book and still doing some consulting and things like that. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, let's talk about the book. So, and, and we've talked, you mentioned publishing. Um, you've gone um, a route that I've experimented with and I've been a big fan of um, their approach at uh, the website and the company leanpub.com. I've you know basically just kind of republished stuff from the blog from my blog that was a chance to experiment. You went um, a different route, so can can you talk about the when talk about the book? Maybe we can talk about some of the process and what you've learned along the uh, along the way as well. So your book Management Matters, um, tell us about that. Yeah, the uh, yeah I I I know lots of. Uh, authors that are well known. I'm not myself, but I know lots of them and they have to put up with stuff I find ludicrous from publishers. <laughs> um, so I knew I would, uh, and I just don't have the patience for that. Yeah. Um, so lean pub allows me to do whatever I want. Uh, and I liked, uh, that a lot. Um, one of the biggest things is I believe that the idea of locking everything in stone and being done is just mm -hmm. way, way outdated. <laughs> yeah. But it's the way that people still think in publishing. Um, so one of the things I really like about this Lean Pub setup is my book, I just continue to edit it forever. Um, I don't think that makes as much sense for novel, but for a book sure. that's on things like management, it does. Yeah. Uh, so that's sort of my uh, idea. Now, I was actually planning on writing a book that was sort of a sh shorter, um, more focused, easier to market kind of concept. Uh, but I juggled around in my head for a year or two and never could settle on anything. And finally, I decided that, you know, what I really want to do is set up a management uh, 
system concept that I can then plug things into. One of the things you might notice on my blog is I do a way more linking than most people do. Mm -hmm. um, it's the way I think. I don't, I have all sorts of trouble writing three paragraphs and having those three paragraphs stand on their own. Um, I, when I'm thinking about it, these things all link together. Yeah. And so what, that was the trouble I had. So if I was gonna write something on how to do PDSA well, it is greatly impacted on all sorts of things that don't seem to have much to do with PDSA. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so that's my idea is with this book, I'll be able to have something that is, uh, this is the system within it, within which these ideas go. So then if I can talk about, you know, how to apply this tool, especially well, I can link it into a larger system. And that's my concept anyway, for this, it was also, I have in, on my blog, I, ex, you know, for years I've been exploring large, many of the same ideas, but there's some things that are really hard to put into a blog because they are so interrelated and so big. Um, and so there are a number of things that I sort of would avoid dealing with. And so this book gave me the opportunity to really say, okay, what are all of the important things? You know, when you're on the blog, if you leave off certain ideas, well, that's fine. You're only talking about the ideas that come up, but this helps me put in all of the things that I, I think are important, um, which is good because when I would be talking to people or consulting with people, you know, they often want, you know, what are the thing I'm supposed to do next? What are the three most important things? And that doesn't quite work, but I can understand the desire to have a picture of, you know, what really are the uh, things that matter? And by me having this book where I have put all the things that I think are most important, it helps me when I'm talking to other people. I can remember, oh, yeah, mm -hmm. I always forget those two. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, the book's not so much. I mean, you know, it, people seem to like ask for a roadmap, but the book is it's more a primer than a roadmap, I would say. It covers topics ranging from, you know, the Deming philosophy to lean to, you know, customer focus and statistics and management and how to inspire others. Um, it really you know, covers a, a nice broad brush of, like you said, things, management ideas that matter. I guess, hence the title, yeah. hence the title of the book. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. And that's, that, thank you. Um, yeah, it's, I definitely don't believe that cookbooks can work for management. It's too right. complex. It's too dependent on all the other things. But I do think there are sort of uh, concepts and principles that apply. And then you have to take these concepts and principles and figure out how to best use them in your organization. Um, and that usually is fairly challenging. <laughs> yeah. Um, so kind of digging into at least a couple topics in the book, um, maybe we talk a little bit about the, you know, the long-term thinking, you know, something Dr. Deming emphasized is something that Toyota emphasizes. And then, you know, we talk about respect for people and uh, your thoughts and, and perspectives on that. So maybe we talk about long-term yeah. focus, you know, Dr. Deming called it constancy of purpose. Um, how, how, how do you describe the idea of long-term thinking and, and why it seems to be such a rare commodity? So I think there are a couple things that 
influence that. The first and most obvious thing is a personality trait. Um, we have uh, we have psychology that often leads us to be very short-term focused yeah. for very sensible reasons over long periods of time. Um, but I think that that, pers that psychology has a great impact on things. Um, one of the things I remember, it might be that I'm combining it with uh, knowledge that came later, uh, but I tend to think long-term automatically. Um, it's the way that I am. I realize that it's a rare way to think. Um, and uh, they have a study that they do with little kids uh, where they sort of, you know, give them two M&Ms and say, if you wait five minutes, I'll be back and you can have five M&Ms. <laughs> and I went to, delayed gratification. Right, idea, delayed gratification. Right? Yeah. And they've, the, so I remember something like that happened to me. I, you know, we were in Madison, University of Wisconsin. They have psychology. I went to the nursery school at the University of Wisconsin. It's not surprising that they would test little things on us. Um, so I remember this kind of thing happening. But then 10 or 15 years later, I remember reading about it. And maybe I'm combining the two. But my personality is one where I have no trouble waiting. I'll wait and I'll, I'll judge it and say, yeah, man, that's way better. Totally, I'll wait. But most people don't. And what they found is that's a very powerful indicator on how successful people are over the long term. Mm. It's one of those system changes that if you can take your kid and get them to uh, accept delayed gratification, they will most likely be more successful, you know, when you look at the overall long term statistics, because they understand things like, you know, study really hard so that you can learn and that benefit won't come for a long time. Um, but it's just, it's not a common thing, and it isn't reinforced in general um, in our society. Uh, the other thing, I think, is our management systems encourage it. When you focus on extrinsic rewards, what you have to do then is explain why you deserve, you know, you have to get credit. Well, it's easy, it's much easier to get credit by saying, I did X today, uh, widgets went up by three, I deserve one of the, uh, you know, one third of that benefit for me because yeah. I created this change. Um, that re that requires a short-term focus. It's much more difficult to say, okay, what I'm going to do is help us institute ideas that, uh, say, like Ono did uh, in Toyota, and 15 years from now we're going to have billions of dollars. Um, and now give me my reward today because. <laughs> Uh, 15 years from now, things are going to be great. Um, so I think that that's obviously an extreme example, but I think that things about our management system also encourage this short-term thinking. When there's a lot of fear in the organization, you know, you can't, uh, it's, it's very difficult to say, yeah, okay, I know I went 10% over budget uh, this year, but this is setting us up for tremendous gains down the road. Um, you're fired, um, yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, so I think there are a lot of things about our management system that uh, push us in that direction. Yeah. Um, and re and reinforce sort of the short-term thinking that we many of us have automatically. Yeah. Well, and I'm reminded of a Dr. Demingism. You know, he would say, you know, there's no instant pudding. 
You know, I think we mm -hmm. live in an instant pudding society. We want instant results, instant success, instant knowledge. That's, uh, I think that's, that's, yeah, that's and tough. even the, yeah, I, I totally agree. And, but I think the, with the instant pudding thing, it is short term, but even more than that, it's that there's a simple mm -hmm. solution. And with management, managing complex systems with people, I just don't think there is a simple solution. And it's one of the things that frustrates people. It's one of the things that people didn't really like about Deming is that he doesn't give simple answers on what you're supposed to do. Um, but it's one of the things I think that makes it powerful in long term is he realized that you can't come up with a system where you give simple answers. And so if you try to, you can market a system like that though really well. <laughs> Um, but if you try it, they fail. And so, you know, you go through these cycles and what stands the test of time is something that isn't as easy. You know, it isn't instant pudding, giving you steps of what you exactly have to do, but it works. Yeah. It just takes time. There's a, a Jim Womackism. He says a lot, you know, uh, something like managers will try anything easy that doesn't work before they try something <laughs> difficult that does. Yeah, uh, that sounds a lot like Acoff too. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, and it's it it's true, and it's where uh, it's so wonderful when you get these things that Womack and Acoff and Deming uh, say because they just cut to the core of what's really going on. Yeah. Well, so now uh, maybe it's a, a transition to talk about. Uh, I've mentioned um, Jim and Lean. Uh, when you talk about. The, the Toyota world, it's very, I think, intertwined with Dr. Deming. I know leaders from Toyota you know, give a lot of credit to what they learned from Dr. Deming. But there's this idea, I think, associated with, with Lean and TPS, especially you know, it's talked about a lot more in the last few years, even though it's always been there, this idea of respect for people. Um, what, what, what are your, what's your take on, you know, is there an in, in instant pudding definition of respect for people? What, what's your view of, about what that means and, and the role of that in a management system? The, um, I don't think there is an instant pudding answer that's good. <laughs> but in addition, I'm not very good at that kind of thing. That's unlike fine. Acoff, <laughs> Deming, that could come up with those. The one of the things so I think there's a couple things about uh, respect. And it is critically important um, but it also can trip people up a little bit. Part of it, I think, just has to do with English. So there's treating people with respect. Mm -hmm. And that is part of respect for people. But it's far from all of respect for people. You know, you just, people should not be a jerk to other people. <laughs> Forget if this helped the organization be successful or not. It just shouldn't happen. Sure. There's, you know? there's a morality, and, I guess, right? I mean. Right. Yeah. And people should be uh, given, um, I think, part of treating people with respect is giving people a chance to take pride in their work. So it's yeah. easier, at least for me, to see with little kids. You can see them teasing each other or something about uh, if they take pride in uh, something. And it's like that just shouldn't happen. Adults, in my experience, adults have learned... Uh, to hide their pride. Um, you know, we do it in all sorts of different ways. Sometimes we attack people for being arrogant if they take pride in their work, but whatever. People learn that they're not supposed to be proud of what they do. And if they sort of express pride in what they do to those around them, 
most likely they're going to get in trouble. I don't think that's so good. Most people, I think, have learned, believe that we should allow people to do that. But when you look at what people actually do when they express pride, um, I think they have room to grow in that area. Yeah. But I think that that is sort of the simple idea, and it ties to the more powerful part of uh, respect for people. And that is that in order for organizations to be successful, you need to engage the minds of the people that work in those organizations. And in order to effectively engage the minds, you need to build a system that respects those people. So even, I mean, let's pretend there was no morality about treating people with respect. There's respect for people, in my mind, in the Deming and Lean way, is about the idea that we want the organization to be as successful as possible. The way to do that is by uh, respecting people, mm-hmm. giving them the opportunity to use their brains, yeah. encouraging them, allowing them to succeed. Well, I think that's a long-term, I mean, I think it ties into long-term view. I mean, it would be mm-hmm. easier to get short-term success by laying people off, taking that short-term financial hit. You destroy the morale in the organization, you destroy quality, and then everything spirals uh, you know, out, of, out of control, and the, the corporate death spiral. Right. It's all. It's yes. it's it's not just a moral view. It's a long term view. By yeah. making these sacrifices another, today, uh, we'll we'll be more successful down the road, right? Right. And you invest in taking the time. And so, if you have an employee, if you have some process you've improved, so you don't need these ten employees who's that's what they do. You don't need them anymore. You take the time to train them on something else. Allow them to gain uh, some other skills to help in a different way. But yeah, you the organization takes a hit maybe initially. Another important part of respect for people, I think, is the reverse of what it doesn't mean. And this is another place where I think people get uh, confused. Um, respect for people does not mean never making anyone uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the things that I see that is a mistake in the USA, especially. Um, well, in non-Japan, maybe especially, mm-hmm. or non-Asia. Um, the idea that, you know, well, it might make these people uncomfortable if we expect them to do math, so we're not gonna do it. Or it might make uh, Joe uncomfortable if I talk to him about the fact that he needs to do a better job coaching his people. We understand he was promoted. This isn't, you know, something that comes naturally to him. But we need to work on making Joe better at that, Mm -hmm. not avoid talking to Joe because he's going to be upset and it's going to make him uncomfortable. And we respect his right. We don't want to criticize him. No, that's showing such disrespect. It's one of the things I get mad at unions for is when they – protect lousy behavior Hmm. by employees that other employees have to make up for that's lousy you know i i understand that management does lots of bad things and so unions do a lot of good in trying to protect workers from the crazy stuff that management can do sometimes right but 
it often gets perverted into something that um, isn't very good. Now, there's one final thing on respect for people um, that I think gets into these things and confuses people some, which is we use the word respect for um, my value of someone's uh, ability in that area. So one of the things that I find is uh, I'm more critical than most Deming people I know, uh, and maybe even most people I know. Um, the A lot of the Deming lean folks get so into the respect for people that, you know, being critical of people at all is seen as sacrilegious. Um, but... The like one of the things that frustrates me, I have to then manage myself to be effective. One of the things that frustrates me is when you can't debate ideas because people's emotions get all involved. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Madison again, son of a professor. You know, people I was around were professors and professors' kids. In that community, in academic community, you debate ideas. No one takes it personally. If I attack an idea as bad, it's not seen as attacking the person as bad. Right. People accept it. People have confidence in themselves and you can attack a bad idea. But inside organizations, I often find that if I don't respect in the term of valuing someone's emotional intelligence, I can't do what would be most effective and efficient in the organization, which is attack this foolish idea that they're supporting. Now, I'm going to be wrong sometimes, mm -hmm. but I'm just saying, you know, if I attack the foolish idea, I believe nine out of 10 times I'm going to be right. <laughs> but I had to, when I don't respect someone, meaning it in the term of value, their emotional intelligence is what it usually came down to. Mm -hmm. um, I have to tippy toe around and do all sorts of things in order to you know, have things be successful. And a big part of that is the idea of having the organization act with respect. It, it annoys me, but I think part of it is when I don't respect people's emotional intelligence, I have to treat them more like a kid who you can't, uh, right. you know, you can't attack or whatever. And I think that's sort of silly. I think what we need to do is build up those people. And so that's one of the things I try to do um, but that's another way, you know, you take the word respect and it ends up, it often gets turned around. And I think that that's the thing is that it's not a super easy thing to look at. You want to treat people with respect. You want to challenge people to get better. That when you look at the lean sensei, they're, they understand this much better, I think, than a lot of people in the U.S. do. Um, of It doesn't mean being everyone's best friend. Right. It means respecting them and challenging them. And I mean, if I respect someone, I challenge them much more than if I don't respect them, where I'm basically worried about making them upset. Well, if you, if you don't respect someone, you don't really give a damn if they get any better or not. I mean, so why why put the effort into it might be one way of looking at that. Yeah, well, right? it, I mean, yeah, and there are all sorts of complications that get in there because then, I mean, you can often not respect people who have authority so then you still you do need to get them to do something to some degree because uh, but, you know, I mean, that's the thing. And I realize like, I mean, my uh, you know, I have personality issues that are not uh, ideal. And so I'm critical. I also 
I will attack the idea, but I mean, I can also get feel personal about it. One of the things, this is another, this is looking at the idea of realm of psychology in a bigger way. One of the neat ideas I learned uh, a long time ago was confirmation bias. Mm, the idea right. that what I believe um, and I see evidence out in the world that supports it, I find that evidence to be wonderful. Yeah. And when I see evidence that is contrary to that, I sort of ignore it. Right. Well, I saw this with people and I learned the idea and so I looked at it myself and paid attention and I saw that uh, there were several places where um, the bosses might like uh, me. And so I would say an idea and there are plenty of the bosses who didn't like the idea, but there'd be some who would go along with it. And then someone else who's a complaining whiner, granted, says this a sim very similar idea and people take it as complaining whiner um and i noticed hey you know this happens sort of a lot yeah and it really is true that your opinion of the person greatly affects your opinion of the idea i noticed it with myself and so with myself over the years i've tried to work on that and divorce my you know, thoughts of the person from what they're saying at this mm -hmm. moment. And I think I've gotten a lot better, but I, uh, you know, that took me understanding the theory and the ideas behind it, then seeing practical applications, seeing that this is useful. If I lose good ideas because I have, you know, heard nine bad ideas from that person, or they're just a jerk and I don't like them, <laughs> that isn't useful. If they have a good idea, you know, we should use it. Yeah. And if they have a bad idea and I like them, <laughs> we shouldn't use it. Right. You know, it doesn't, but you, I see that that has much more to do with what people think of ideas in meetings than uh, anything else. And right under how much someone likes someone is how much authority the person has. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> the same idea from the guy on the factory floor versus the, supervisor of the plant supervisor plants idea is great the factory floor idea was dumb no <laughs> well uh i like your ideas i like your willingness uh you know from from reading your blog uh, you know to to, to challenge things I, I think you do so in a thoughtful way not a bomb throwing way and so i, I appreciate that and appreciated uh, your, your writing and friendship in the blog world. And it's good to finally talk to you today and, and to be able to share it with the listeners here. Yeah, it was great. I really liked it. Yeah. Um, oh, final, final thing I was going to ask you, I had written down here. Um, can you talk briefly uh, about your role and, and the blogging and the stuff you're doing with the Deming Institute? We should give them a, a good plug. Yeah, sure. The, uh, so a little bit on the background, I, uh, had been involved with the Deming Institute uh, since they were founded a bit. And in 2004, they took uh, 12 of us to Louisville. And the idea was to take Deming's four-day seminar and design a new seminar. Joyce Arsini, who's the director of the uh, well, board, uh, president of the Deming Institute. I can never remember which title fits, yeah. but basically she's sure. one of the leaders. Um, the, uh, had the idea that 
look, four days is just not practical. Mm -hmm. Maybe Deming could draw people for four days today, but even that would be questionable. So we wanted to cut it down to two and a half days. Mm -hmm. And so that's the idea. I was trying to come up with that idea. And so we spent, I think it was a week, uh, designing that. And since then, I've been doing giving some of those uh, presentations uh, in the USA. And now that I've been out here doing some of them in Singapore. Um, and then about a year ago, uh, started working on the blog. Maybe six months ago, we finally started publishing it. And so, yeah, there's a blog for the Deming Institute. And we have a redesign of the website that we've been talking about for a long time, but actually is pretty close to uh, being ready, which will be a big improvement mm -hmm. for two reasons. One, the new one is actually really good. And two, the current one is actually not that good. It's just ancient. Um, so I think people will really like uh, the new blog when it comes out, um, which should be fairly soon. And the, or the new website mm -hmm. and the blog has been doing... Uh, pretty well and I've uh, enjoyed it. Yeah, well, if, if people go to Deming.org, there's a preview of that, that new site. It looks like a, a, a really nice, clean, modern site. So we'll look forward to that and hopefully that draws more people into uh, the great content, the great lessons of, um, of Dr. Deming and it'll introduce people to you. John Hunter, thanks for being a guest on the podcast. Great, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.